because of Special Olympics, I think a lot of people now do just accept, well, of course they can play sports because we've all heard of Special Olympics. Yeah. So you just accept they can do that. Well, what if we spent the same amount of time and energy and organization and years teaching them other things? You know, teaching them a skill, teaching them a vocation, teaching them how to be independent. Could they learn those things too, right? Why isn't there a Special Olympics of jobs? Welcome to an army of normal folks. I'm Bill Courtney. I'm a normal guy. I'm a husband, a father, an entrepreneur, and I've been a football coach in inner city Memphis. And the last part, it unintentionally led to an Oscar for the film about our team. It's called Undefeated. Guys, I believe our country's problems will never be solved by a bunch of fancy people in nice suits using big words that nobody understands on CNN or Fox, but rather an army of normal folks, us, just you and me deciding, hey, I can help. That's what Jane Borokoff, the voice we just heard, has done. She created, let's call it a Special Olympics for jobs in Houston, Texas. Her nonprofit, The Heart Program, has provided job training and placement for hundreds of adults with intellectual and developmental disabilities. When too much of our culture believes that these kind of folks can't provide any value in the workplace, Jane disproves it. Hart and its trainees also operate over 60 vending machines and get this, 150 concession events each year, including at every professional sports stadium in Houston. I can't wait for you to meet Jane right after these brief messages from our generous sponsors. This is it, your moment. This is your time to make your comeback with Purdue Global. When you come back with a Purdue Global degree, you create opportunity for yourself, your family, and your future. It's a degree you can be proud of, a degree that employers will trust and respect. Purdue Global offers working adults like you over 175 flexible degree programs to meet your specific career goals. These include associate, bachelor's, master's, and doctoral degrees and certificates. Purdue Global degree programs range from nursing to business to communication and more. Whatever your interest, we have the degree that will move you forward. You have the knowledge. You have the experience. Now it's time to get credit for the work you've done and earn the recognition you deserve with Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. You know you're worth it. We do too. So don't wait another second to get the degree that will take your career to the next level. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. Open a limited-time 11-month certificate at Kemba Financial Credit Union. At 5.25% APY, it's more than triple the national average, plus it's a safe and secure way to grow your money. Visit your local branch or kemba.org slash cb for details. Offer expires May 31st, 2024. APY equals annual percentage yield. Restrictions apply. $500 minimum and $250,000 maximum deposit. Advantage status required. Comparison based on bank rate average. Federally insured by NCUA. Hi, I'm Cindy Crawford, and I'm the founder of Meaningful Beauty. 
When Dr. Sabah and I decided to do a skincare line together, he said to me, we are going to give women meaningful beauty. And I said, that's exactly right. We want to give women meaningful beauty, which means each and every product is meaningful. It has a, a reason to exist. It's efficacious. You're going to get results. And then you just go out and live your life. Meaningful beauty. Confidence is beautiful. Learn more at MeaningfulBeauty.com. Jane Borkoff, how are you? Doing great. How are you? Fine. Houston, right? That's right. It's uh, hot down there <laughs> most times? Yes. I prefer it hot. I, I, lo- I love warm weather. Um, where are you from? I was born in Baton Rouge, Louisiana. Oh, so you're used to sweltering miserable heat. Exactly. Does that mean you're an LSU fan? You know, my mom went to LSU for her undergrad, but she finished at Texas A&M. And then she did her PhD at University of Texas Medical Branch. And oh, then, so your mom's really dumb. No, not at all. Yeah. I mean, I she's mean, really an amazing PhD, role model. You know, yeah. <laughs> so you, you grew up in Baton Rouge? I lived there for a couple of years, and then we moved to Texas on my third birthday, which I always tell my parents was the best birthday present I ever got, was to become <laughs> so a Texan. Where? We moved to Brenham, Texas. Where's that? It's about halfway between Houston and Austin. It's off of Highway 290. Is that kind of near like Bryan, Texas, or uh, College Station, I guess, is kind of there. Right. Maybe a 30, 45-minute drive. So that's why my mom ended up finishing at Texas A&M because it's in College Station. We were living in Brenham at the time already. So it's beautiful. Got two younger brothers. And when you grow up in Brenham, there's a couple things you know. One is you eat ice cream every single day on your school lunch tray. Ah, That's a great Because Bluebell ice cream, right? Is that where it's from? It's headquartered in Brenham, Texas. So you're going to get that. Oh, yeah. They sponsor all the all the sports, and they're just a great community partner. So everybody running around Brenham's fat. No, not at all. <laughs> yeah, they're all fat from eating all the ice cream. No one listening to this is going to understand that I'm not obese from listening to this. <laughs> no, I'm the fat and one. And I ate ice you're, cream For every everybody listening, I didn't Jane know. is not fat, but she <laughs> probably was a fat child. <laughs> You know, Alex, I think we've ruined any chance of Bluebell being a sponsor of our show at this point. (laughs) I didn't know, honest to God, I didn't know that kids all over the country didn't eat ice cream every day at their school. I just thought that's how wonderful it was to grow up and have a childhood in Brenham. So in Houston, you meet a guy. That's right. I met my husband. And his name is? His name is Bob. Bob, the husband. Yes. Tell us about how you met Bob. (laughs) So we were introduced by a mutual friend. Um, We were both active in, you know, volunteering in the community and politics. And so... Did you just say politics? I did. What kind of politics were you involved in? So I... We don't want to get into the political discussion per se, but I'd love to know what you were doing in politics. So this... At this time in my life, I had just moved to Houston. I'd been there maybe a year or two, and I had gotten connected with a friend who was involved in raising money for city council races and the mayor's race. Cool. And so I would help her out, you know, stuffing envelopes, and we'd watch TV, and she'd make lasagna. So then I'd help her out at the events, you know, greeting people and handing out name tags and those kinds of things. 
uh, my husband at the time was not necessarily volunteering, but he was he writing your the checks. At that time. He was your not. husband. Yeah, your to be husband. Exactly. He was writing the checks. <laughs> so, <Okay. laughs> and um, so here we both found ourselves at one of these events for a, a city council race in Houston, Texas. And my friend knew Bob really well and said to me, you know, this is a really great guy. And I think you'd really like him. I don't think she realized how much we were going to like each other, but she had an inkling that we would have some things in common. And so she made the introduction and then we kept seeing each other. You know, we kept running into each other, different things, kind of like once you meet you someone. Was really accidental or was he stalking you? you no. <laughs> I stalking think, you, Eddie Jane. You know, I think we had Bob probably. Was a <laughs> he's not a stalker. <laughs> I think we'd probably been in some of the same events before, yeah. but we didn't know each other. Yeah. And so I think it's one of those things once you know each other, I, you I see each other. I think it's good that on this podcast we have established that Bob is a stalker. Oh, no, he's not a stalker. Okay, Bob's not a stalker. He's I'm not. Just Playing, but I do, I do have a question. We're going to have to have a production check on this because I'm not sure if it was Plato or Socrates. But he, one of my favorite quotes is, "You can finish it if you've heard it." The penalty for not involving yourself in politics is you end up being governed by your inferiors. Mm. And I don't know if it was it was Plato or Socrates, but I've I've said that before without. Spilling the beans as Plato, Socrates. People guess Roosevelt, or they guess, you know, JFK, or even George Washington. But I think it's interesting that going back literally two thousand years, um, some of the same divisions that plagued humanity two thousand years ago in the political spectrum still plague us today. And I just I think it's great that you're involved in politics because. It's best that we don't get governed by our inferiors. And so I think that's cool. So you met Bob the Stalker in political <laughs> uh, in political work, and he followed you around. He, okay. I, I can't say that's exactly how it happened. But okay. Yes, well, that's we... my version of it. But it's, it's more fun to say because Bob's going to listen to this. I hope he has a sense of humor. Bob, I'm just kidding. So y'all are going to these things. You keep b- bouncing into each other. Exactly. And the more we got to know each other, the more we realized how much we had in common, not just, you know, wanting to be involved in politics or the community, but also, you know, we both like music. We both like the same kind of movies and those kind of things. And so we really just hit it off. Cool. And what does Bob, what did Bob do at the time? So Bob is in the restaurant business. Owning restaurants or yes. managing them? So he's done it all. He started out as a dishwasher when he was 11 years old. I think he may have told someone he was 14 and got hired to, to work right. in a kitchen. I take back everything I said. I already love Bob. Yeah. He's a self-made guy. He is. I mean, he got promoted to, you know, chopping meat and vegetables and then decided, you know, he was going to own restaurants and he worked his way up from waiting tables to being a manager and he opened his first restaurant on a credit card when he was in his 20s. That is a great story. Yeah, he's and, a great and, American. And then made it and ended up owning restaurants mm-hmm. yes. and still does, I guess. Yes. He's he's owned many different restaurants over his career. That is really, really, really cool. Yeah. Have you ever eaten his food? <laughs> All the time. Is it any good? Tell it's the truth. wonderful. You sure? It's you have really to say good. That. Your wife, do you mean it? I do mean it. The recipes in the restaurants are terrific. And what kind? What's the fare? So he has a lot of uh, restaurants that are Tex-Mex. So uh, 
yeah, a lot of enchiladas and tacos and yeah, things like T-bones that. T-bones, too. But he's had steakhouses and uh, seafood buffets and all kinds of different concepts. He's a very creative person. That's and, really cool. Yeah, I remember the first time he cooked for me, we were on a vacation. And um, we rented a place. It was before Airbnb. And he goes to the grocery store and comes back and starts making, you know, like gourmet food, right? Like stuffed mushrooms and artichokes and all this kind of stuff. And it was some of this food I'd never eaten in my life. And <laughs> here's this man like cooking it for me right in front of me. It was just incredible. Yeah, well, the Bob knew what he was doing, didn't mm-hmm. he? So you, you ate his mushrooms and married him. <laughs> More or less, All yes. right. So um, when, when was that in your life? How old were you? Right. So... We all became a family. When I met Bob, I was probably 23. Got it. And by the time I was 24, we were all a family. And what I mean by that is he was a single dad with three kids. Owning restaurants? Yes. He was trying to oh, run for, his- for I've been in the restaurant, but actually, I put myself- I had a scholarship and, and many jobs, but one of the many jobs I had was I waited tables and I bartended and- Actually, was an assistant manager of a couple restaurants, so never owned one. But I know what the restaurant business is, and the hours are grueling, and they're always night, mm-hmm. and you always have to stay. If you close at ten, you're not home till midnight. How does a single dad do that? That's right. also a that's a lot of work. Yeah, he's one of the most hardest working people I've ever known, and he. As much work and time as he puts into his businesses, he also puts that much effort into his family. So Bob's a good man. He's a wonderful man. Bob is not a starter. No, so he's not. I'm doing the math, though. You're 23, 24, and Bob's already got three kids. Yeah, we're exactly 20 years apart in age. Wow. Yeah. Bob is a stalker. <laughs> <laughs> so Bob was 43-ish uh-huh. and you're 24-ish and you're marrying this man and taking on his children from, I right. guess, a divorce. Is that the deal? Yep. Wow. Yep. Unreal. Right. I become That's instant. a lot for a 24-year-old girl. Lady, young right. lady is what you are. Right. I, looking back, it. It didn't. I didn't have that perspective. It was just the most natural thing in the world. You fall in love. Here's your family. You marry love me, them. Marry me, marry my kids, and you just move forward. But looking back, I I wonder, you know, how I did it back then. But we all became a family. The twins. Uh, how, how old were the kids? The twins were eleven years old when I met them. They were in fifth grade. I went to their fifth grade graduation. Good grief. And Bradley was 14. He's the big brother, the oldest. And um, yeah. 14 and 11 at mm-hmm. 24 and coming in being mm-hmm. a stepmom. That mm-hmm. was that, truthfully, that had to have been a hell of an adjustment or at least a little difficult, wasn't it? You know, I think that I'm very lucky that I met them at that age. I mm. think if the twins had already been teenagers, they might have looked at me a little bit differently. Might have hated you a lot. But because they were 11 years old, I mean, they shook my hand. I was a boring adult to them right. you know, at that age. And so they accepted me in that role very young in their lives. And it just sort of continued. And we've had a great relationship the whole time. Well, and the truth is, if you really think about it, you graduated high school when you're 16, you graduate college when you're 20. You're not a typical 24-year-old. There's a lot of 24-year-olds that act like 21-year-olds, but you were 
probably maturity-wise far more advanced than a chronologically 23 or 24-year-old simply because you were two or three years ahead of the curve anyway. If my husband were here, what he always says is that I was mature for my age and he was immature for his age and we met in the middle. <laughs> so chronologically it didn't match, but probably intellectually you're right we there were, together. We were a good team. <laughs> That's a really cool story. All right. So the twins mm -hmm. were girls. One boy and one girl. Oh, mm -hmm. got it. And yep. then there's Bradley, who was the big brother. Right. Who is the part of the focus of our conversation today. Um, tell me what you, tell me your first impression of the kids. Well, my first impression, I just remember thinking they were very well-mannered and very good looking. All three of these kids are just beautiful creatures. Um, so Bob's a good looking stalker. Yes, he is. Good. Um, I went to their fifth grade graduation for the twins and I remember just being very impressed with how they interacted with their friends. You know, even though they're twins and they're in the same classes and they have the same teachers, they have their own kind of spheres. But then they also, you could see when those intersected. Yeah. And just the joy they had in bringing people over to meet me uh, was oh, no, really fun, mm -hmm, very warm. And, uh, I I have this early memory of Blair, our daughter, and uh, we had taken the kids skating to a skating rink, a uh, roller skating rink. And I just remember her twirling around and, you know, really showing all of her all of her stunts that she could do on her roller skates and just being very impressed. So you fell in love. I did. Yes. With the whole family. Are you mom now? Yes. Where's mom? So she still lives in Houston. She was remarried before I ever met Bob. And um, unfortunately, sadly, her husband also just passed away uh, during the pandemic. Wow. So she still sees the kids, you know, probably more now than she did when I first met the kids. Uh, now that she's older and she's alone. But your family dynamic is your mom. Right. Got it. So that's the twins. Tell me about your first impressions of Bradley. So I had never really been around anyone like Bradley. So And remember, we haven't discussed Bradley. So I want our listeners' first impressions to be yours. Sure. It might be helpful if I tell a little bit of Bradley's story. I wish you would. So Bradley was born completely typical. He was a typically developing young boy. He could read words by his third birthday. He you know, loved to garden, was asking lots of questions and running around. He loved to garden. He did. That's funny. My my third child, my oldest son, when he was six years old for Christmas, all he wanted was a garden weasel. <laughs> yeah. It's one of those things that you stick in the dirt and turn. I think like Ronco sold them on TV and he asked everybody for one and he ended up getting two. <laughs> yeah. Bradley also liked to help clean the pool. Bob had a pool at that house and Bradley loved to help clean it. And then when the twins were born, they were born premature. When they came home from the hospital, Bradley was having a seizure. It was his first seizure he'd ever had. How premature were the girls? Um, the twins? Um, well, remember, I didn't know uh, them I back keep then. I girls. I'm sorry. I, one's a boy, one's, one's a, a boy, one's a girl. I want to say six or eight weeks. Now, remember, I, I didn't know them back then. Right, I get it. Um, but from what I recall I mean, from hearing about it. They, oh, right. It was... 
and they were in the hospital for a long time. And so it was the day they came home from the hospital that Bradley was having his first seizure. So you're telling me Bob was dealing with premature twins and having to deal with all of that. Right. And then the day he finally gets the twins home, now his oldest son has a seizure, which is bad, but not like over cause for alarm. Exactly. Yet. And so um, his first wife basically just went right back to the hospital with Bradley and Bob stayed with the twins. And what they didn't know was Bradley would stay in the hospital pretty much for the next five years. Five years. Yes, until he was eight years old, um, when they could finally get his seizures more or less under control. And that kind of... Can I ask you a question? Sure. Uh, it, it, I'm going to share with you some things in a moment, but did they have to put them in a medically induced coma and things yes, like that? That's exactly Sh- what they share, had to do. Share... When you hear that a three-year-old goes in the hospital and stays five years to come to Tate, that is tragic. But share some of those details so people understand the depth of what this child went through. Yeah, sure. So his seizures became... And, and his family. Right. His seizures became uncontrollable, right? And, um, and so the only way to control them was to put him in a medically induced coma. And then they would bring him out of the coma... And they would try a different regimen of, you know, medicines that worked for some people to control seizures. And, you know, it takes a long time for the medicines to really get in your system and to really understand if they're going to be effective. So they would try, you know, one course of, you know, one of those medicines and then determine that it wasn't effective on Bradley and put him back in a coma. And the whole time, the kid's having seizures. Right. And it's just heartbreaking, you know, for both parents to watch. And as a parent, you sit there helpless while your child convulses. Right. I mean, I know that's in your face, but that's what it is. Right. It's horrific. Right. And um, meantime, Bob's taking care of newborn and uh, a restaurant business and trying to write big checks to the hospital. Right. And one of the things that happened during that time is that his insurance was canceled and they didn't just cancel it for him, but because of the Bradley's medical bills. And the hospital came to him one day and said, you know, it's $250,000 or Bradley has to leave. And they didn't cancel Bob's insurance. I imagine they canceled his company's insurance, which means he couldn't offer it to his employees. Correct. All his employees got canceled. His whole family got canceled. And that led him another story. That is a story and a show to itself that is, this should be illegal. Right. Well, it is now. It is now. But back then it wasn't. And, um, you know, Bob, because of his political activism that we talked about, he had been active with his industry. He ended up taking this all the way to, you know, the highest levels of the federal government, met with senators. He ended up getting Bradley reinstated. He wanted to sort of fix it for everyone, but he ended up getting Bradley reinstated. But they came and said, you write a quarter of a million dollar check or Bradley goes home. Right. And what does Bradley do at home? Sit there on the couch and convulse? No, Bob wrote the check. That's the point. Right. But that's $250,000. He probably had a suck out of his business. Right. I mean... A lot of folks think business people are rich and just have millions of dollars in cash sitting around. You may have good net worth on paper, but most don't have a lot of liquid cash. Mm-hmm. And so if you're going to have to write a $250,000 check, you're leveraging up your company to do it. Right. Plus, he was spending a lot of time with Bradley and with the twins. And, and so the, the restaurant's probably suffering. 
Right, and all the employees can see this going on. It, it just created a very, very, very difficult time, I think, in his life and his first wife's life, right? And they became, you know, farther and farther apart as she was spending most of her time at the hospital because the hospital is not a hotel. You don't just put a kid there and, you know, not, check not on him the child. next day. Somebody in the family has to be there the whole time around the clock. And so that was her. And here's Bob raising these babies and trying to run his company and write the checks. And so now you understand why Bob has such a strong bond with the twins. And why there's also so much unbelievable stress Mm -hmm. in that family dynamic at that time. We'll be right back. This is it. Your moment. This is your time to make your comeback with Purdue Global. When you come back with a Purdue Global degree, you create opportunity for yourself, your family, and your future. It's a degree you can be proud of, a degree that employers will trust and respect. Purdue Global offers working adults like you over 175 flexible degree programs to meet your specific career goals. These include associate, bachelor's, master's, and doctoral degrees and certificates. Purdue Global degree programs range from nursing to business to communication and more. Whatever your interest, we have the degree that will move you forward. You have the knowledge. You have the experience. Now it's time to get credit for the work you've done and earn the recognition you deserve with Purdue Global. Purdue's online university for working adults. You know you're worth it. We do too. So don't wait another second to get the degree that will take your career to the next level. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. Open a limited-time 11-month certificate at Kemba Financial Credit Union. At 5.25% APY, it's more than triple the national average, plus it's a safe and secure way to grow your money. Visit your local branch or kemba.org slash cd for details. Offer expires May 31st, 2024. APY equals annual percentage yield. Restrictions apply. $500 minimum and $250,000 maximum deposit. Advantage status required. Comparison based on bank rate average. Federally insured by NCUA. Hi, I'm Cindy Crawford, and I'm the founder of Meaningful Beauty. Well, I don't know about you, but, like, I never liked being told, oh, wow, you look so good for your age. Like, why even bother saying that? Why don't you just say you look great at any age, every age? That's what Meaningful Beauty is all about. We create products that make you feel confident in your skin at the age you are now. Meaningful Beauty. Beautiful skin at every age. Learn more at MeaningfulBeauty.com. One of, uh, there's a list of the hierarchy of stressors and um, psychologists use it. And um, if I'm not mistaken, each stressor has a point. And if you score below a certain point level, you're considered like high, high stress. And it's, you know, the death of a child, the death of a, a spouse, the, the loss of a job. And it's the highest stressors all the way down to like losing a baseball game is 1000, you know, and number one is, and if you add up all the stressors somebody have and it has, and the number is a low enough score, they're considered high stress. But um, sick children, being split from your spouse, business troubles, and financial troubles are all like in the top 20. Yeah. So I can only imagine mm-hmm. what they're going through. Mm-hmm. 
And so eventually, uh, you said five years, so I guess at this child's eighth birthday, they finally figured out um, what a medicine that worked? There was an experimental medicine that at the time, my understanding is, wasn't even approved by the FDA. They were able to try it. It was able to somewhat control his seizures. Bradley had suffered so much brain damage and right. other issues, cerebral palsy from all the seizures. And he had to relearn how to walk. He had to relearn how to talk. He had to wear a helmet, but he could exit the hospital. And so you met him at 14, which is six years after a five-year I mean, this poor kid didn't know anything about the hospital. And the twins didn't know anything but my brother in the hospital. I mean, it's almost like boy in the bubble kind of thing. This they, they've they only known Bradley. The, the twins know Bradley the same way I do, which is we only know this Bradley. So we don't have the grief that his dad has. From the first three years. Right. Of remembering your firstborn child and all the hopes and dreams that you have. So now you've boy. led it up to the day you first met Bradley. So I ask the question again, now that we filled in the backstory, mm -hmm. what did you see and what was your impression the first day you met Bradley? So Bradley is really tall. And I remember seeing this probably six foot tall, 14 year old boy, right? Um, that was acting like a kindergarten kid. Um, and he was drooling. It's a side effect of his medication. And he Are was. Are his arms drawn? He, his arms can extend. Um, over time, they're getting more and more drawn. Right. And so that's something. I'm talking when But you first back met then, him. he was picture. lanky. He was a lanky, tall, skinny. Helmet. No helmet, no wheelchair. helmet, no wheelchair, standing up walkers. tall. No walkers. No, he, he can he can move around. Um, and I, I just, I had never met anyone like him. And he has his dad's exact personality. You know, he's the friendliest guy. He's never met a stranger, you know, and just comes right up to you and just talks to you and wants to know all about you and wants to be your friend. And Had you ever been around a special needs person at any length before meeting Bradley? I never had. Okay. Honest truth. You had to have paused a little thinking, okay, how do I approach this? Definitely. And in those early months of our relationship, you know, I would – I would go over to Bob's house and spend time with him and the kids, and Bradley would still have seizures. I remember the first time I saw him have a seizure, I had, had never seen you out. anything that frightening. Um, and of course, they're they're Is all acting like, oh yeah, he has grand mal seizures, which are the ones where you really really shake. So a does lot. he have to put in a mouthpiece? What about his tongue and his teeth? No, he doesn't have to wear a mouthpiece. His only last a few seconds, okay. um, but then he's out for hours. Uh, while right, his brain kind of reboots. The, the brain has to reboot. Right. It was impossible to do, you know, family outings because Bradley could have a seizure and then he's going to be out. And at this point, he's six feet tall. How are you, you can't just pick him up, you know? So did you consider, do I want to marry this? You know, I never did. Um, I always just knew this was part of this family. This was really important to Bob. I mean, he is so involved in his kids' lives. It's just such a big part of who he is and his identity. 
And when we were first spending time together, he was telling me all about his kids and how proud he was. And, you know, our first dates were going to watch Blair play soccer. You know, he'd come pick me up and then we'd drive out and watch Blair play soccer or take him rollerblading or things Did like that. Did you ever, the first time you went out in public with Bradley, mm-hmm. the very first time, did you feel the stairs? Oh, I still feel them. I remember the first time. Uh, yeah, the first time. I remember the first time I took Bradley to a grocery store and it was just he and I. And we're walking down the aisles together and we're having a great time and talking about what kind of cereal do you want and just laughing and joking. And I remember walking down an aisle and seeing people coming on the other side and and watching them see us and walk away and go into a different aisle. What did it make you feel like? Hold it. Honestly, the first time. I'm sure it made you feel defensive for Bradley, but it embarrassed you a little. It was all the emotions. It was the anger. Did it embarrass you a little? Oh, it was embarrassing. It was the anger. It was sadness. It was just all these emotions. And then I'm looking at Bradley, and he is so unaware. Thank God. That any of this has happened, and he doesn't perceive any type of slight. And And it's just been a huge lesson for me being around Bradley of what's really important and what's not. And I really think that my journey with Bradley has made me a much better person. So I was, I'm going to get this right because I'll be corrected on this if I don't get it right. I was 23 when I went to pick up this girl that I was trying to get to go out with me. And when you're when you're trying to get a girl to go out with you, when you go back in my day, and my requirement for my girls, by the way, is you get out of your car and you go up to the door, you walk in, you shake your parents' hand, you introduce yourself, and then you take a a, a young lady out on a date, mm-hmm. <clears throat> which I required of my girls, but I I think is becoming a greater and greater lost art conversation for another time, but nobody was taking my kid out that wouldn't come in and shake my hand, look me in the eyes. Okay. And I would be intimidated and I couldn't try to scare the hell out of them. But that's a whole other story. But I went in and when <laughs> I went in, uh this middle aged woman who happened to be the girl who I was asking out's mother, who was very attractive, and I thought, hmm, well, if she's pretty at forty five or however old she is, her daughter's gonna be pretty good looking in middle age. So you know, check that box. <laughs> yeah. We got longevity. <laughs> and the girl comes down the stairs and um, she's got brunette hair and beautiful eyes and a big bow in her hair and um, a really cute sweater on. Uh, it was football season. It was fall. And um, just took my breath away. She's beautiful. And I married her. Um. And as she was coming down the stairs, around the corner came uh, this kid that was, I think, eight. And he had a brown, wiry hair that, I mean, best would be described as almost an afro. And his name was Ben. And he walked up right to me and stuck his hand out and said, my name Ben, and shook his hand. And he was clearly special needs. He was not a child with Downs. He was not an epileptic. He was not, um, there's really no tag for what he was. 
And my first impression was, wow, you know, look at this beautiful woman and this beautiful young lady and this beautiful house. And here's a special needs kid. And I never equated the humanity and reality of special needs and family until mm -hmm. that very moment. Well, took Lisa out and um, we dated. And while we dated, Ben became more and more part of my life. Mm -hmm. And um, I'll never forget, we went to the first time I ever took Ben out. I took Ben and Lisa to uh, Poncho's, which is a local Mexican place. Sure. Not like Bob's Tex-Mex. I'm no, talking. This is the one with the flag, right? Yeah, yeah. Well, that's right. That's yeah. exactly right. Because that's all I could afford at the time. <laughs> they also had Mexican restaurants back then in Memphis, maybe in Texas. But they had a magician on weekends that would walk around and do little magician things. Because this is a place that had like menus that had crayons for mm -hmm. the little kids and, and all of that. And we're sitting there eating our, our sauce and cheese, waiting on whatever we ordered. The magician came by and and I thought, yeah. So I gave him a dollar to do a trick. I'm trying to impress my girlfriend on how what a cool guy I am with her little brother. And he like pulls a quarter out from behind Ben's ear and Ben freaks out, throws the chips up there and bolts out the front door and mm -hmm. I'm chasing him through the through the because he didn't understand. Right. Um the stairs, mm -hmm. the reaction. The clown, the man behind the makeup and his horrified reaction. Um, the three Hispanic dudes playing the Hispanic music in the corner stopped playing music. Um, when Ben hit that door, it swung open hard. And so the place got quiet and everybody looked. Mm -hmm. And then I finally riled him up out of the drive out of the parking lot, got him calmed down, explained to him it was just a trick, nothing to be afraid of, and got him to sit down. And the walk back to my table through the restaurant was like a walk of shame. Yeah. Um, I'll never forget it. It affected me. And I'll be honest with you, in all candor, I was embarrassed. Yeah. And I hate that about myself at that time of my life because I didn't have the maturity to handle the embarrassment. Um, <clears throat> certainly I was sad for Ben and certainly I was hurt for him, but I was embarrassed. I was embarrassed like, you know, the people think I'm weird because I'm walking around with a special needs kid. And um, I'll never forget how mortified I was the next day when I woke up and thought that's just wrong to be embarrassed. And everybody's reaction to Ben because he's special needs is, is sick and he's a human being with heart and emotions and wants and desires and experiences love and hurt and all of the things every human being has. Mm -hmm. And that, I made I made a decision on that day that I would never be embarrassed of Ben and I would be his advocate forever um, because I planned on marrying his sister and I knew that marry your sister, marry my brother. You marry a family. You don't just marry a person. Right. And Ben was part of the package and Ben's still very important in my life to this day. Um, but another thing I learned um, through this 
epic 30-year journey that has been living in Ben's life is um, Gary and Peggy are Lisa's parents, Ben's parents, and they're in their early 70s now. And one of their biggest concerns is what happens if we outlive Ben. They are mortally fearful of that. And, you know, Lisa and I are now in, we have conservatorship and no matter what, Ben will be taken care of. Our children who are now in their mid twenties understand if Ben, if we precede Ben in death, they're the conservators and they're going to take care of Ben. And we're very fortunate that we have the means to take care of Ben. Um, I, have seen so many special needs walking the sidewalks as homeless. I have seen so many special needs people institutionalized. There are special needs people in prison. Mm -hmm. There are special needs people all over the place that were either cast out by their families or their primary caretaker. They outlived their primary caretaker and there was no functionality for them. And my experience with Ben over 30 years has taught me this societal ill. Mm -hmm. um, when did you become aware of all these realities? You know, I, I think for me, it's been just like you described, both instantaneous when you have something like that happen and you sort of realize it all at one time, but then also just gradually over time, the more and more that you live and love someone with special needs, the more you see how they're just completely excluded from society. And they're also excluded from so much of life. And then despite all of that, Somehow they put a smile on their face and, and find a way to be happy in life only to be only to be almost demonized or looked down on a fairly large percentage of the public. And that breaks my heart. And I will tell you something else. You know, in the age of wokeness and political correctness, we hear about all kinds of words that we shouldn't use, and we're all, but it is a weekly basis that I hear some, you know, if I do something goofy or like spill my coffee over the thing, someone says, oh my gosh, you're such a retard. Mm -hmm. You know what? You know what? I'm offended by that. And if anybody listening uses that in their typical uh, vocabulary, you need to understand that you are you're making fun of and demonizing people who literally have made no choices to have the disabilities they have. And you should erase that word from your vocabulary immediately because you're an asshole. I've had this conversation with some people. We call it the R word. You know, we don't say the I R. said it because I wanted to make sure people <laughs> of course. heard it, but it's the R word, just like the N word, just like the F word, just like all the other words. And so many times people will say, you know, but Bradley wasn't around. You know, he didn't hear me say it. Oh, so 
it's okay <laughs> to use these other words when the people you're talking about and referring to aren't around? Is that okay? It's not okay. But the other thing I try to share with people is I heard it. It it hurts me. It hurts That's me more than it's ever going to hurt Bradley. It hurts me. It hurts Bob. It hurts Blair. It hurts Brent. It hurts the people who care about Bradley, whether he hears it or not, whether he, whether you even know him. When you say that word, you don't know who's around you that's struggling with somebody in their family or someone in their place of worship or someone in their you know, sphere or their school that you're offending that person. And they may not tell you because there's still such a stigma around this disability. And the fact of the matter is anyone can be born with this disability. You could be rich, poor, you could be any ethnicity, right? And you're yeah, just it, born. It, it, it really does not discriminate. No, you're just born with some more challenges than the rest of us have. By the way, I want to tell you something. Um, like I said, Ben is not a kid with Downs. Ben is not that. Gary and Peggy also found out that Ben had a disability at three and a half, four years old. Mm. Until then, look normal, act normal, walk normal. And got sick, and they and if you look at his MRI today, his frontal lobe is looks like Swiss cheese, and they think it was encephalitis, but he was completely normal. And so, when you talk about the dreams and aspirations and goals that are then, it's listen, it's always a tough challenge um, when you have a a, a disabled child. Um, and I'm not comparing anybody's, but in this particular case, and it sounds also like Bob's with Bradley, mm -hmm. is that it's one thing to deal with it in the womb or at birth. It's another thing to have plans and at three years old have everything change. Again, no comparisons. Right. It's all It's tough. all hard. Mm -hmm. But what I'm telling you is I really identify with your story. Um, I, I, I completely get it. Um, and I get the fear of the long-term care, both the expense and what happens if I'm not around and what do we do with this person? Because people think oftentimes of, um, of, of challenged kids as just that kids, but here newsflash, they become 30 and 40. Mm-hmm. And 50 and 60 and, and 70. And what happens then? Right. I mean, advances in modern medicine are terrific. I remember when I would first take Bradley to get his eyes checked, right? He couldn't read. He would stumble around. And we all thought, well, this is because of his disability. And we'd take him to the eye doctor and they'd hold up the chart and ask him what letters and you numbers. And he doesn't know the letters and numbers anyway. Oh, wow. So then they would hold up, you know, stuffed animals or bears or fingers and try to figure out what he could see. And fast forward to today, you take Bradley to the eye doctor. They put his eyes in the little machine. It whirs and spins and spits out his prescription. And all of a sudden, he gets glasses and he can see things. He can still only read about 100 words, you know, but he doesn't trip and fall as much. And we realize all of this time... He couldn't see. And that's just one example. Think about all the times that they have, you know, something that hurts or an injury or a flu or and something. Or communicate. Can't communicate it. Ben has had that. Ben actually had a tooth that the dentist said must have been like 
would have would have put you and me in the hospital in pain and Ben wasn't eating. Well, let me tell you something. Ben's a big boy. He likes food. Mm-hmm. If Ben ain't eating, something's wrong. Everybody thought it was his stomach, is this, is that. And lo and behold, he's got a tooth that's about to come out of his head. And he couldn't communicate it. He just said it hurts back here. We'll be right back. This is it. Your moment. This is your time to make your comeback with Purdue Global. When you come back with a Purdue Global degree, you create opportunity for yourself, your family, and your future. It's a degree you can be proud of, a degree that employers will trust and respect. Purdue Global offers working adults like you over 175 flexible degree programs to meet your specific career goals. These include associate, bachelor's, master's, and doctoral degrees and certificates. Purdue Global degree programs range from nursing to business to communication and more. Whatever your interest, we have the degree that will move you forward. You have the knowledge. You have the experience. Now it's time to get credit for the work you've done and earn the recognition you deserve with Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. You know you're worth it. We do too. So don't wait another second to get the degree that will take your career to the next level. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. Open a limited-time 11-month certificate at Kemba Financial Credit Union. At 5.25% APY, it's more than triple the national average, plus it's a safe and secure way to grow your money. Visit your local branch or kemba.org slash cd for details. Offer expires May 31st, 2024. APY equals annual percentage yield. Restrictions apply. $500 minimum and $250,000 maximum deposit. Advantage status required. Comparison based on bank rate average. Federally insured by NCUA. Hi, I'm Cindy Crawford, and I'm the founder of Meaningful Beauty. Well, I don't know about you, but, like, I never liked being told, oh, wow, you look so good for your age. Like, why even bother saying that? Why don't you just say you look great at any age, every age? That's what Meaningful Beauty is all about. We create products that make you feel confident in your skin at the age you are now. Meaningful Beauty. Beautiful skin at every age. Learn more at MeaningfulBeauty.com. So, you marry in, full well knowing what you're marrying into. You got Bob and the crew. And, um, you know, I, I guess you're thinking about a lot about what we're talking about is Bradley and Ben and Many people like them across the face of the planet do become 20 and 30 and 40 and 50. And what happens to them? And candidly, what can they do? Because they also want to feel a sense of fulfillment. And you're struggling with what happens when parents and and all of this. And you are, if I, if I remember the story right and correct me, but I, I think I think you find yourself in an odd place because... There's there's parents your age who have really young kids at Special Olympics, and there's parents your husband age who have kids the age of Bradley at Special Olympics, and you're kind of a a tweener in parent with a Bradley at this age, and you're hearing conversations and share those conversations with us and what you decided to do about it. Yeah, that's a, that's that's a great memory that you have. Yes, I 
So initially, you know, becoming part of this family, I never thought that my entire life would change and that Bradley's life <laughs> now, and that my was life... a 24 year old thing. <laughs> right. If you didn't think Mary and Bob, the restaurant stalker with twins <laughs> and a special needs son, your life wasn't going to change. You were 24 after all. Yeah. I, you know, I thought I have a career. He has a career. We've got these twins, you know, they're going to go to high school. It wasn't that long since I had gone to college. I kind of knew how to do that. My mom had to figure it out, you know, later in life. And so we'd both gone through it and I thought I can help them. You know, I know how to set them up for college visits and help them figure it out. Of course, I wanted them both to go to University of Texas at Austin. So made sure we took them to football games and did things did like that. No, they both went to UT. Oh boy. Okay, so that, that plan worked. And then, <laughs> and then with Bradley, I just had no idea. I just had no idea what, what to do. I found out he could go to high school for eight years. So four years like everybody else, but he gets four extra years, which anyone. That's a Texas thing though. No, wow. it's actually federal. Is it? I it's thought that federal. that was just a state thing. It's, Don't states handle it differently in some states? They can, but. And there's a law that individuals – I may get the acronym wrong, but it's IDEA, and it says that people with these disabilities are entitled to a free public education in high school until they turn 22. That's so great. if you think about it, it's the four years of high school till you're 18 and, and then, then four, four additional years, of, quote, years. college years. Now, what I have seen happen at local level and schools and states is the pressure from the school to say – but don't you want them to graduate with their class? Oh yeah. Do you really want to hold we're them tired back? Of the resources on it. Right. I mean, they're eighteen. They've struggled enough. Do you really want to hold them back? That's I mean, almost passive aggressive, isn't it? You know, different people think they're doing the right thing for our family. That was not the right thing right. because Bradley, when he went to school, he had pep rallies and football games and best buddies and a school lunch that he could have a meal with people and How'd the a nurse. Population treat him? Well, he went to a brand new school that had just been open in our neighborhood, and he was the first student to go there, and he ended up being the longest-serving student. So Sounds like it. He knew everybody in the school. He could walk the halls, and, and everybody knew him. It was a year or two later when the twins ended up going there to the same school. And the twins— Did he get any of the, you know, typical I'm, crap? I know he did. Um but Did the twins, I don't know how much he knew. I know that the twins took it really hard and they each took it differently. I can remember Blair coming home crying. Blair, the girl or boy? Blair's girl. One girl. of her best friends, she wouldn't come over to our house because she was, you know, scared of Bradley or, or just didn't feel comfortable around Bradley. And You know that comes from parents oftentimes. I mean, I don't know where it came from, but, you know, Blair ended up not being friends. And this was one of her best friends. And she felt like she couldn't even be remain friends with this girl. And it really hurt Blair. Unfortunately, that is the reality. Right. Of this. You know, I think Brent had a hard time with, you know, this is his big brother. Um, but they were both involved with different things in school. And Bradley learned that anytime he met somebody, if he said, I'm Blair and Brent's big brother, people would go, oh. 
And all of a sudden, they'd react to him in a more positive way because they probably knew Brent or Blair or knew that there were twins, right, in the school. And so he'd say, I'm Blair and Brent's big brother. And the funny thing is, you know, Brent and Blair are married now. They live on their own. And Bradley will still, if he were here today, he'd come up to you and say, I'm Blair and Brent's big brother. (laughs) And so many times I have to tell him, you know, they don't know Blair and Brent. It doesn't matter. That's sweet. And and that's how he's proud of that. Clearly. Very, very proud of that. But, you know, I tried to figure out what we what Bradley's life would be. I didn't know. Does he go to college? Does he live on his own? Does he live with us? Does he get a job? The dreaded, does he have to go to a state home? Right. I mean, what- Because that's the reality also for some. I had no experience with anyone like Bradley. I had no education. I I wasn't a teacher. I wasn't a medical person. I, I didn't know any, I knew nothing about Bradley. And so I just set out on this journey of discovery, really. And I started- just doing the things that moms do, right? We went to Blair's plays at school. We went to Brent's tennis games. We went to Bradley's Special Olympics, you know, and which, by the way, for those out there who have never been to a Special Olympics basketball game, bowling match, or track meet, or swim meet, those are the four I think I've done. Am I missing one? Well, <laughs> bowling's a big one, track's bowling's a big, big one, swim. Bradley did track and field, and Bradley did bocce ball. So basketball, track and field, swimming, and bowling Mm -hmm. are the ones that I've been to with and for Ben, and they are hilarious. Oh, (laughs) you talk about getting after it! They're so great, and it's such a great experience. And you know, when you think about that concept, I mean. Learning a sport, especially team sport, is pretty hard. Uh, you know, kids spend years learning how to play basketball and That's what the right. positions are. And when you go out there and you see that these people with these disabilities are able to really play basketball. Function, play I by mean, the rules. they're not going to have the same athletic ability uh, no, as someone without a disability. But they play. And the ones I've been to, they're competitive as crap. I mean, they get after it. I mean, they really play hard. And it's fun to watch because they're competing and having a really good time doing it, most of them. One of the things that struck me watching that is if we can teach them pretty complicated sports over a period of years, why couldn't we teach them other things like jobs? You know, things that people say, well, they could never do that. Well, before I met Bradley, if you had said he could learn how to play basketball, I think I would have said, "I I don't think so. You know, I don't even think he could keep score at a basketball game. He can't count that high, right? Right. But you put him in Special Olympics, they have a plan, they have coaches, they're volunteers, they they go through it, and they, they do it through, you know, middle school and high school, and they stay in high school for eight years, and they can really play basketball in and a lot of these sports. And they can run track and relay and pass a baton, and they can do swim in more than one stroke and they can bowl and all of it, which before Ben, I would not have recognized or known it, but they can. And because of special and they Olympics, enjoy it. right. Because of special Olympics, I think a lot of people now do just accept, well, of course they can play sports. 
Because we've all heard of Special Olympics. Yeah. So you just accept they can do that. Well, what if we spent the same amount of time and energy and organization and years teaching them other things? You know, teaching them a skill, teaching them a vocation, teaching them how to be independent. Could they learn those things too, right? Why isn't there a Special Olympics of jobs, for example? Well, so what'd you do about it? Well, um, so in 2005, I guess it was, uh, well, actually it was in 2002, my husband and I decided to start a nonprofit organization to help people like Bradley. We filed the paperwork just in our house for a 501c3 that was in May of 2002. It took a year. Right. At that time, we really didn't think it would become anything. I think what I thought was Bradley's going to get out of high school and doesn't make any sense in our family for Bob to quit working and watch him. So probably I'm going to leave my career and be in charge of Bradley. And I'd been out on those Special Olympics sidelines with the kids Bradley's age that were in high school and the parents that were Bob's age. And I would say, you know, what are you guys going to do? They're going to graduate, right? They'd say, oh, well, I'm probably about to retire. And 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 it just it didn't connect with me, right? And you're right. The ones why that were my retire? age. Explain why they're going to retire. Right, because somebody has to be in charge of this See, person. That's, that's the reality a lot of people don't understand is if you're a single parent with a with a with a, a child like Bradley or Ben, and they're through with all the state schooling that it offers at twenty two or twenty three years old. You may be forced with a decision to quit and go on Social Security and welfare versus have a a gainfully employed job because you don't have any other options. It's a real thing. I'm so glad you understand that because that is exactly what happens and people don't know that. So I would be on the sidelines of Special Olympics and the parents that were my age with the little kids, they're all sitting there saying, what are we going to do? Yeah, but that's not a reality for them. They've got time. No, they're worried about getting another uh, group, you know, a study group or, or, you know, yeah, or something like that. And they're, they're energetic and they're wanting to, you know, do something and I'm energetic and I'm wanting to do something, but the parents of the adults, right? They've been doing this for 20 years. Yeah. At 46, 47, the truth is, look, let let me- And reality sets in. I I don't, I want to make sure because uh, the candor is children like Ben and Bradley, the effort can be burdensome, but they are not a burden. Right. They are a blessing. Mm -hmm. And I believe there's a special place in heaven for parents and caretakers of of people like Bradley and Ben. And I am not saying that they themselves are a burden, but the truth is 20 years of caring for folks like that will wear you out. It wears you out. It is exhausting, and there is no such thing as a break, and you can't get away and Mm -mm. try getting a babysitter for Bradley. No. Good luck. Try getting a babysitter for a 30- or 40-year-old right person with all of these challenges and behaviors that you can afford, you know, and and even if you could find somebody. And and that's the thing. It's not that they're a burden. You're, You're right. It's that our society, our world 
isn't set up for them yeah. at all. But it is a fact that the work is hard. It's burdensome. It, it is. So I, I just want to make the distinction as we talk about this through, we're, we're not identifying the human being as a burden, but the work itself is hard. And so when you're 46 or 40, I get it. The, the 28 year old with a, with a five or six year old special needs person is thinking about play day, same that. The 46, 47 year old, when the school's running out, they're kind of, many of those folks are at the end of options, really. And some literally do have to quit their jobs. Absolutely, they do. And so when we started our 501c3, what was going through my mind was, okay, and my family, I'm going to do this. I'm going to leave my career, take care of Bradley. And the irony of this is you're actually the age of most of the parents with five-year-olds. <laughs> right. But you're in the place of the parents with the eight, uh, with the 22-year-olds, exactly. which is an odd place for you to be. And I thought, okay, there's these single moms that I see, you know, every other week out at Special Olympics. I'll take their kids too, because it didn't make any sense to me that they would have to quit their jobs, Right. So I thought to myself, you know, we'll get four or five or six of them and I'll come up with activities. I, I, it was a very loose idea. Like maybe we'll go to the zoo one day or maybe we'll, you know, kind of, I don't know what I thought. Maybe I thought I'd have a little school in my house. I don't know what I thought. <laughs> it was a very loose plan. It's just, it's just do something. It was like do something, right? Because I... So would anybody invite you to this? Uh, <laughs> no. Did no. anybody ordain you? No. <laughs> no. You are a normal right. gal it was... from East Texas, right. married the stalker, inherited stalker. his children, and saw a need. It, it You're just... as normal as they come. Just a, a gal that grew up normal, got married, went to college, have a job, and you see a need. I feel that anybody does these things for their kids. And this was the position I was in. It was the most logical, normal thing to do is take care of your kid. And so, so, so yeah, so that, that was how the idea started. We'll be right back. This is it. Your moment. This is your time to make your comeback with Purdue Global. When you come back with a Purdue Global degree, you create opportunity for yourself, your family, and your future. It's a degree you can be proud of, a degree that employers will trust and respect. Purdue Global offers working adults like you over 175 flexible degree programs to meet your specific career goals. These include associate, bachelor's, master's, and doctoral degrees and certificates. Purdue Global degree programs range from nursing to business to communication and more. Whatever your interest, we have the degree that will move you forward. You have the knowledge. You have the experience. Now it's time to get credit for the work you've done and earn the recognition you deserve with Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. You know you're worth it. We do, too. So don't wait another second to get the degree that will take your career to the next level. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. Open a limited-time 11-month certificate at Kemba Financial Credit Union. At 5.25% APY, it's more than triple the national average, plus it's a safe and secure way to grow your money. Visit your local branch or kemba.org slash cd for details. Offer expires May 31st, 2024. APY equals annual percentage yield. Restrictions apply. $500 minimum and $250,000 maximum deposit. Advantage status required. Comparison based on bank rate average. Federally insured by NCUA. 
Bye. Hi, I'm Cindy Crawford, and I'm the founder of Meaningful Beauty. Well, I don't know about you, but like, I never liked being told, oh, wow, you look so good for your age. Like, why even bother saying that? Why don't you just say you look great at any age, every age? That's what Meaningful Beauty is all about. We create products that make you feel confident in your skin at the age you are now. Meaningful Beauty. Beautiful skin at every age. Learn more at MeaningfulBeauty.com. Over the next couple of years, 2003, 2004, you know, Bradley's still in high school at that time. And I really just started talking to other people about, well, what would you guys want to do? Talking to teachers. What's, what is out there after high school? And talking to other parents with kids Bradley's age. Exactly. Talking yeah. to other parents, talking to the teachers, talking to other organizations, looking to see what else was out there in the community. And there were a lot of programs in the Houston area that were about I, I sort of they're they're beautiful programs and, and they're they're great. I mean, some of these programs I personally would want to be a part of. Bradley wasn't interested in them. He didn't want to paint pottery all day long, right? Um, Not his thing. Right. A lot of these really great programs were started by moms or grandmas or, you know, whoever it was. Well intentioned people trying to find something for them to do, but Here's another newsflash. Just because they're special needs doesn't mean they want to do arts fit and crafts. Into the same right box. I they mean, are human beings with interest and lack of interest, and unfortunately, we seem to lump every special needs into a category of they're all special. Well, no, they're human beings like all of us that have all kinds of different interests. Exactly, and in our family. Everybody worked. Bob worked. I worked. The twins had jobs every summer. Uh, they worked at the mall or they worked, you know, as lifeguards or did a number of different jobs. And Bradley saw all of us working and he wanted to work. He wanted to be like us. And he would say, I want to get a job. And we tried. You know, we <laughs> took him and helped him fill out what applications. That, like? that was a terrible experience. I bet it was. Tell me. It was. People had to look at you like you were nuts. Yeah. Yeah. You want me to hire. Right. This guy. What can he do? And I finally understood when, you know, Bob being in the restaurant business, we thought, okay, well, we'll use some of our connections to get Bradley a job. We knew some people who owned some fast food chains and we thought that could be really great for Bradley. And Bob, you know, put me in touch with a couple of the guys and I would go talk to them. And finally, one of them said to me. Hold it, hold it. I got, I got one guess. I'm sorry to interrupt you, but I, I, I'm okay. thinking as a business guy right now. Yep. Liability. Liability is a big one, right? Would have to be. Would have to be. And but the other one, and this is the one that really, really hit home for me because liability. I mean, you have insurance, you use workers' comp. There's a lot of things. Bradley takes medications, right? We're. Yeah, but what if a kid has a seizure over a fryer? Right, but you but you can work around those things to you a certain can, extent. If you have a really really kind 
manager slash owner who's wants to work with you. Yes. You could work around those things. I, to me, I thought I understand that, but I feel like we could work around that. I feel like people throw up liability because it is valid, but also because it's just a way of saying I can't do it. Yeah, it's a stall. And then one of these individuals said to me, you know, Jane, it doesn't matter if I want to do it. I'm the owner and I tell my people to do it, right? It comes down to who is that manager at that particular location? And do they want to work with them? And what is that experience going to be like? And you're telling me that I'm going to tell that manager to hire someone with no work experience, right? And a disability. And I've got 17-year-old kids beating down my door that have already had three or four jobs, right? That are going to be frankly, more productive. And even if they were fired at their last job, they come in and say, you know, I learned my lesson. I'll right. wear the right shirt. I'll wash my clothes or whatever it is. So I'll the answer is you found out getting him a job was a dead end. Right. And what I also learned was, okay, we let's fix that. Love it. Right? If he doesn't have any job experience, See, how can we get him some job experience? Yeah. If that's the problem, we should be able to fix that. So that's <laughs> sort of is a, a little bit of the genesis of how the idea for what eventually became the HEART program got started. Which is an acronym for? Housing, Entrepreneurship, and Readiness Training. All right. Since we're into language, yes. we're going to take a, a mini break. Sure. And it was pointed out to me by Alex the Painter, the producer. Um, Alex rightly pointed out, and I think it's a, a, a good chance while we're talking about language and a, and a good intermission before we get into the meat of um, your amazing organization. Talk about, I, I think there are a lot of people who use words the wrong way because they're just jerks. There's another lot of people who really want to say the right thing. And then there's another segment who want to say the right thing, but are really put off by like way too political correct wokeness. I think there's kind of a spectrum of people as it comes to language. I'm the middle person. I don't want to be a jerk, but I'm also not really into the big political correctness thing. Mm -hmm. I mean, I think there was a time in our nation's history where we needed to get politically correct with our language because it was wrong. I think the pendulum swung and it's gotten just out of control in some respects. Mm -hmm. but. When referring to what I am calling children who have Downs or um, special needs children or um, challenged or whatever, I, even after 30 years of Ben and being an advocate for him, mm -hmm. being in love with his sister and his sister having been a oh, Lisa has been amazing with her brother takes him shopping, takes him everywhere. He can't wait to get home and see Lisa. Where's my sister? I mean, but even after 30 years of that, I'm not even sure what I'm supposed to say. So before we get to heart, since we're talking about language and acronyms. Sure. What the hell are we supposed to call Ben and Bradley? Would you help me with that? Right. Well, or do you or do you know what to right. say? I mean, look, language is always evolving, and I will tell you what I think we're supposed to say, but I say it knowing that there's probably someone listening who would correct me, right? It's always changing. But the movement right now is to put the person first. And so 
so we don't want to refer to people as blind, right, um, or visually impaired, because that because, puts- well, well, that's funny, because visually impaired was the improvement to blind. Right. And, and, so and now- it is, and it is, it can be, but the idea is if you say he's blind or he she's blind, he's visually impaired, she's vis- visually impaired. You're putting the disability first instead of the person. So it's this idea that we're supposed to say he's a person who has with blindness. a visual impairment, right? He's he's a young man who has Down syndrome. He's a person with okay, an- Okay, so Ben is a person with special needs. Or a per- Yes, and he's a person, it sounds like, with Down syndrome. If you want to share the diagnosis, some people get particular about sharing a medical diagnosis and HIPAA and all that kind so of stuff. So it's, it's person first language. It's person which, first, which people I, first. I don't think that's overly ridiculously wokey or any of that. It's not, but it gets wordy and complicated, which is why I think a lot of times we shorten it to say special needs. You know, in the case of Bradley, what would I say? I would say he's a person with an intellectual and developmental disability, Good what they grief. call IDD for short. So he's a person with IDD. But the okay, vast can, majority of people that, that I meet, is, what does that mean? Right. If the vast majority of people I meet, if I say, "Oh, Bradley has IDD," he's a person with IDD. They, they have no idea what I just said. And even if I say he's a person with an intellectual or developmental disability, they might just say, "Oh, okay," and they might have some vague idea about what that is. If somebody really genuinely wants to know more about it, and I'll say, you know, he's a person with an intellectual developmental disability, they'll say, but, but what, you know, tell me what is, more, tell, tell me, me more, more. Yeah. you know, what, tell me more about Bradley, just like you did in this podcast, right? In this conversation, tell me more about Bradley, tell me more about his experience, because as you said, someone with special needs or challenges is different from anyone else who has special needs or challenges, it, even it though society lumps them into one classroom it, it is, and thinks they all want to play sports. Lord have mercy. It's a mixed bag. It I is. I've learned that in a big, big way. I watched a kid in a wheelchair whose father, the kid was, um, I assume it was cerebral palsy, um, you can help me here. He had a wheelchair that he could move with his shoulders because his hands were um, drawn. He right. was fisted and drawn up, and so were his feet. And he was really skinny, and his like knees sat to the side, and his feet sat to the other way. And he had like one of those wheelchairs with the the pads on the side and the rear, so it was kind of like a head support. Mm-hmm. And he showed up at Special Olympics bowling. And I thought, okay, this is going to be interesting. Mm-hmm. And his mother pushes him in. His mother and father push him in. I watch the whole time. I can't wait to see what this is going to look like. And then his father leaves and comes back. And his father had built a wooden ramp that rested on the ground and then on the arms of his wheelchair and then had a platform at his chin and they would put the bowling ball at his chin and he would nudge the ball with his chin and roll down the ramp and go bowling. And then let's say he knocked over all but three pins. He would ratchet around his wheelchair to line up with those three pins and nudge that ball to get down and try to hit the other three pins. The kid was bowling. And I just will never forget thinking about how much heart that kid, that had to have exhausted him, frankly. 
and what the parents did to get him to do something. Mm -hmm. And all I'm saying is, is that these kids are not one size fit all. Mm -hmm. There are so many different things and challenges. I mean, Ben is really how functioning he dresses himself, he shades himself and all that. And so I, you know, I think about the challenges with Ben and then I think about what those parents had with, with that young man. Mm -hmm. Yet he was bowling with his chin. Mm -hmm. And, um, so and it's how? not, there's two things for that. It's not one size fits all. And next time you wake up in the morning, fully abled and are pissed off at something, try to think about that story and look in the mirror and straighten up because you ain't got it bad. I completely agree. And what about that dad? What an amazing father, How right? amazing. And I think you probably see this with Ben and I see it with Bradley, how many parents are just incredible. They're incredible. And they go to like I said places. earlier, and I mean it, there's a special place in heaven for people that care for people with special needs. And we all know about, you know, the dance moms and the PTA moms. Yeah, and the but we don't know about these and guys. And the football boosters and all of these things. And the parents of, of our guys, right? Like, they're amazing too. And that concludes part one of my conversation with Jane Borkoff. And part two is now available, which dives much deeper into her extraordinary nonprofit, the Heart Program. And I'm telling you guys, you don't want to miss it. I'll see you in part two. Open a limited-time 11-month certificate at Kemba Financial Credit Union. At 5.25% APY, it's more than triple the national average, plus it's a safe and secure way to grow your money. Visit your local branch or kemba.org slash cd for details. Offer expires May 31st, 2024. APY equals annual percentage yield. Restrictions apply. $500 minimum and $250,000 maximum deposit. Advantage status required. Comparison based on bank rate average. Federally insured by NCUA. There are some things that are too good to keep a secret. Like how your Amex Platinum card helps you have the perfect trip. I'd like to check into the Centurion Lounge. Or how it seems like you always get those hard-to-snag tables. Ooh, yum. And how you get the most out of select can't-miss events. With access to the Centurion Lounge, Resi Priority Notified, and Amex card member benefits at select events, you'll have to share. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. You know that feeling when you walk into your home, take a deep breath, and feel new? Well, that's what it's like to use Clorox Sentiva. Because Clorox Sentiva smells like coconut, cleans like Clorox, and feels like energy. It'll elevate any cleaning routine to not just clean, but also make every room smell like a tropical coconut getaway. Discover how Clorox Sentiva's powerful clean and refreshing scents can transform your space. Get yours in coconut or other fabulous scents at a nearby retail store.